gotten so much freer with belching in my old age. Like, I sometimes don't notice it. Like, I'll be at work and be like, wow, and then be like, son of a bitch. Like, like right now at my job, these people hardly know me, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm just the guy who burps loudly. You know what I mean? Oy. At least you're not the person that sneezes loudly. I'm the worst. I, I can't keep it in, you know? Like, Well, sneezing, you know, you can definitely be forgiven for sneezing loudly. Yeah. You know what I mean? But being a gross person who burps really loudly all the time is... Depends. This is all going on tape, by the way. Yeah, that's fine. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm a dork living in Portland, Oregon, who spent too many years listening to podcasts and not doing anything creative. This is my attempt to rectify that, to create and contribute something where I talk to people about their cultural obsessions and try to give some recommendations of my own. Welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. Dear listener, if you, if you, if you ever... Uh, uh, gaze upon my visage, you'll, you'll see that it's not surprising that I'm a guy who belches loudly at work. And on that note, welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Jeremy, joined once again uh, by uh, repeat friends uh, on mic here. Introduce yourselves, if you would. Uh, my name's Natasha. I am still a nerd, and I like uh, lots of different things. Um, I'm Garrett Burt, uh, Wrangler jeans wearer and on-air personality. And our conversation today is uh, like Jeremy had talked about maybe maybe uh, uh, talking about sort of you know the the horrible aspects of internet culture you know men's rights and oh god and, red uh, pill yeah. yeah red pill I know blue a lot pill about people that. and unfortunately um, well what do you know about it um, I've just I've out of a sheer fascination. I have gone and looked through the red pill boards and also um, there's sites for women that are supporting red pill, which is even scarier. To not, me. not surprised, though. <laughs> not Well, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, at some point it is the Internet Plus when we had the. God, that was like what? That was like three years ago. It was when uh, you had the it was around right around the beginning of Gamergate or at least the same uh -huh. time. But you had. um All the you know people put like you know women on on you know what insert social media here like yeah. taking headshots and saying you know I don't need feminism because oh, something God. something something yeah which spawned the lovely side site uh, confused uh, confused cats against feminism <laughs> you know yeah you see with a lot of that it was like it kind of stemmed out of the not like the other girls kind of thing that w women right. tend to do. Um, well, I noticed there's, there's a way to get, and I'm sorry to cut no, you no, off. No, no, not at all. Like, I noticed there's a way to get a little bit of celebrity by kind of like... Pandering. <laughs> pandering or just or just like playing counter to what the way, the cultural expectations of whatever identity group you're in, yep. you know what I mean? Um, but in a really, like really in a way that's like, this is bad for your... Like I'm not a, I'm not a huge advocate of identity politics, but that is like... Like stuff like that is bad for the group that you belong to. You yeah, know what I mean? feminism is about supporting and creating equality for all women. Throwing other women under the bus in the name of feminism is is bullshit, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah that was part of the part of the things is like uh, as people were, some people pointed out, you have you'll have people doing you know hot takey bits, but criticizing why they didn't need feminism. Using, <laughs> they're you know, using feminist critiques mm -hmm. like all the all the language and the um, 
you know, in, I don't know, philosophical critique, theoretical critique that came from there, they're, then they're using, it's like they, you know, if that thing didn't exist, you'd have no way to talk about it. Exactly. You know, you, you, um, right. Yeah. And that's why, like, for me, um, Corey Robin is such a big cultural touchstone on stuff like that because he talks about how, you know, what in his, in his estimation, what right wing movements essentially are, are, appropriations well they're they're reactions against emancipatory movements from the left exactly but they take and use the methodologies and the language like just what jeremy is talking about of the left yeah um and they're fucking good at it and they've gotten really sophisticated in the past 30 years let's say right well yeah. and that's why democrats keep losing you dress it up in a nice enough outfit you know you've got the dapper richard spencer identity politics Oy. of the white it's just horrible but yeah I think the um, there is a it's not a, there's a um, there's a term for it, but it's like that kind of that of going back what you talked about of the not it's not a salient example, which is related, but it covers a different phenomenon. But it is somebody it, um, the you get like the kind of like it, it is the person who embodies man bites dog. Mm -hmm. Like you like it's it's one of the reasons why you can get. Um, I think Richard Spencer got stuff because he was, you know, he was just like kind of this like schlubby dude who wasn't as schlubby as the rest of these assholes. Yeah. And right. They keep calling him dapper. And it's like, it's... he's kind of like doughy. Like I'm doughy, but I, I, no one pretends I'm dapper. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's kind of like he went, it's, it's, yeah, he doesn't dress like a, he doesn't dress like a, like a guy, you know, like a, like one of the little like. Basement dwellers. Yeah, but he doesn't dress like a basement dweller yell, yeah. you know, dwelling, yelling into a mic on YouTube. Yeah. Well, and despite not having a an eight-inch beard, uh, he looks like every dude in Portland. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Uh, I mean, the legitimization of these figures in some way by their appearances and by what they're saying in a more intellectual, you know, kind of mode is just... It's absolute bullshit because if you know, sorry, I keep saying bullshit. <laughs> you can say bullshit. no. It's you. You Leave get no. We we no. We we uh, we we don't just allow cursing here. We demand it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Good. Sorry, my niece Hannah. You're not allowed to listen. <laughs> but she hasn't heard the word. She has. Yeah, we we got we got a we got a we gotta, yeah we have a yeah this yeah this podcast comes with a fifteen certificate. <laughs> the <laughs> sign says no Hannahs. There can have one. There can have one. What the fuck is wrong with me? Cut that out. No, no, no. I like it. Keep it. Well, the sign says no homer. No homers. <laughs> yes, no homers. <laughs> we could have one. Oh, he, oh, he, oh. Hey, Billy. Hey, Joey. Come on in. There's plenty of room. Sorry, not you, Homer. Why not? But you let in Homer Glumplet. <laughs> it says no homers. We're allowed to have one. Oh. Sorry. See, we just did it. Like, like we cannot, we cannot help ourselves. Simpsons references for days, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. That's all. I, again, when I'm old and start going into dementia, that's all that's going to be left of my brain is, is Simpsons references. Anyway, um, but the the God, the article we're talking about was a piece published in the Baffler, 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 mm -hmm. Baffler, Baffler. Yep. Without a doubt, it's Baffler. Yep. Baffler. The title's Outsmarted by Rick Perlstein. Right. Subhead is 
uh, and I think Garrett, because you had the you hit upon. I think I found it and shared it with everybody, and and you hit upon the idea of using that as a launching point for this week's uh, Chatham Up. Well, the funny thing is, we must have been reading it like contemporaneously because I I first discovered it through a, another blog that I read, um, but I started reading it and it really was it really addressed something that I've been thinking about a lot, and it's this. I don't know. The the author, Perlstein, uses a sort of snippet of – I'm just trying to decide how much into detail to go here. He uses a snippet from The Great Gatsby to exemplify two types of sort of smug – well, not necessarily smug, but two, two types of like shitty intellectualism that run into our – that run in our culture right now. Right. Yeah. The first type is the sort of um, – like the Richard Spencer type. Yep. Like he actually uses Richard Spencer as an example, which is a right wing, usually leans on scientific terminology and also this this pervasive sense that's on both sides, which is credentialism. Yeah. Like like if someone's a PhD like that guy Sebastian Gorka that's getting all the shit this week, <laughs> yeah. like he's such a he's one of those phonies. Like yeah. he's got a PhD in something and he basically makes people call him doctor because yeah. he's a piece of garbage. But anyway, we'll table that. So that sort of person getting into getting into William H. Cosby territory. Uh, there's a reason <laughs> there's a reason why every uh, every episode of the Cosby show and different world always had always had Dr. What is it? Dr. William H. Cosby or something. You want to call it William H. Macy, but it's like Dr. William something <laughs> William William Cosby something in the credits, even though he only because he because he, he, got, he got an honorary degree, he got an he got an honorary an honorary degree and just use that as an official title. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, so there's that side of a, a, a certain strand of, of, of smartness, uh, and I'm putting smartness in quotes there. Mm -hmm. And then he's saying on the on – the, but, but he's saying like, hey, li hey, liberals don't get too comfortable because, you know, you have another kind. You have, yeah. you have the same sort of credentialism. You have the – you know, did you go to a Northeastern college? Did you, did you get a master's degree? And if so, then you're – not only are you like supposed to like run the show, yeah, but you're also supposed like you're also like better people, like in the and absolutely. I don't think he makes a strong case for that, but uh, but I think it's just the amount of smugness, right? I think that's what he was really pointing out is that you have people. There's an especially good paragraph that yeah. I'm gonna look for, but go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say like, and it, it's funny he's using you know an example of just like how intellectualism has driven some really, really dumb stuff throughout history. Exactly, um, yeah. One of the major ones that he brings up in the article is the fact that they used to forcibly sterilize people that were considered, uh, quote-unquote, imbeciles. Um, so people that had, you know, we would, not even having intellectual or mental disabilities, but just within a categorization by these, you know, so-called educated people. And I think it's, it's, really, it's really telling that, you know, even... It, it, <laughs> When you consider people subhuman because they don't have the level of intellect or, or supposedly, or education, you are denying the base their basic humanity. Right. No, that's exactly what. What. Like. Yeah. It. It's and also I think the, one of the other bits aspects of the piece was um, that in its damn it slipping away mistake uh, the modern well modern modernist postmodernist. Mm -hmm. Uh, conflation of or replacement of like smartness and cap in quotes with you know as a replacement for say m you know moral worth 
Yes. Right. Which kind of which bleeds into kind of you call it like technocracy. Mm-hmm. So, find a piece. Well, this is a paragraph that I found like I've read it three times, and I think this is the paragraph that I like the best. Okay. And he's I think he's more addressing the liberal side of it, but he says, and every almost every time he says "smart," it's in quotes. So, right. Smart is an identity. Smart has a politics. Smart can be a road to authenticity, or smart can be a con. Think of Elizabeth Holmes, who founded the biotech startup Theranos after mm-hmm. studying Mandarin as a ch- uh, after studying Mandarin as a child, launching a company during college at Stanford and then dropping out. She gold jo- she gold George Schultz and Henry Kissinger into serving on her new company's board of directors, becoming America's youngest self-made female billionaire in the world, according to Forbes. Even though the technology she was selling didn't work. It did not. Smart carries with it its own logic of domination, resistance, and resentment. The logic that produces both reactionary pedants and ferociously winking liberal elites. And what he's what he's referring to when he says ferociously winking was was the character of Daisy in The Great Gatsby, at, who whose husband is one of those Richard Spencer types, basically like ped- yeah. pedantic, pedantic. So, um, Cluelessly insecure, pedantic, uh, right wing, um, right. You mm-hmm. know, kind of the guy who the, the guy who Nick are Nick the protagonist was it meets at a party meets at a party, isn't it? Yeah, I think they're all in a salon or something. Yeah, in a, yeah, in a salon. Cousins, so <laughs> yeah, in a salon, <laughs> and but he's going on about how you know have you read have you know uh, mentioned you know dropping the name of all of these. Uh, eugenicist basically yeah just like these new these you know eugenic works you know kind of like scholarly articles uh trying to undergird you know some really racist shit yeah like the bell curve and stuff like that <laughs> and and then on both sides i think what he's trying to address is this there's a fundamental insecurity about we feel about being smart but when you look at the right wing guys for example it's like they want to be seen as smart they actually compose these very elaborate and they actually can be quite byzantine you know theories and 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 uh sets of information that it's like like cherry picking right well that's part of it i think but cherry picking i think they employ cherry picking along the way but it is the these uh, constructing grand edifices of getting of getting you know of more sophist than sophisticated mm-hmm. but getting back you know the whole um and i don't but without nece- i think without necessarily the um i think i think weren't the so i can't remember all my classics that well but weren't the sophists like part of their argumentation was they were Knowing they were at least self-aware enough, knowing that they're constructing these arguments, that, you know, the, because the whole point was like, you know, domination through argument, dogma, domination through, you know, debate through logos yeah. of and but whether they were correct or not didn't matter. Well, I think that, yeah, I think from my understanding, what the sophists were trying to point out was that for any given position, you can you can you can find one or more counter positions that are equally plausible yeah um but they often i think often what it devolved into is they didn't have they didn't take a side on anything they just wanted to show the sort of vacuousness of, of certain sets of arguments you know mm-hmm. what i mean um it, it's it, i think sophism in the classical sense was a very valid position but uh what it ends up turning into is is 
a lot of times making an argument for for its own sake yeah yeah is what is what we kind of call sophism yeah and i think but there's there's also a connotation an associated associated connotation of just like pedantic dickism like you you have, for some reason you you have to be a huge dick about it or maybe that's just the nature of the internet it's probably the nature well, of the internet i think there's a certain thing about and i think you see it in sort of people that actually aren't very political you see this notion of well, this guy's too left-wing, this person's too right-wing, and obviously the answer's somewhere in this gooey center. And it's like, is the answer in the gooey center? Like, that's a, that's a, that's a bias, and I think that's a, that's a sophist bias, if, you, if, you, yeah. if you'll, if you'll uh, entertain me on that, you know? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, the idea that everybody has to meet in, in the middle. The... Well, that just, the, just that we, there's leftism, there's rightism, they're on a continuum, mm -hmm. and, then, and that they're both obviously wrong. And somewhere in the middle there, the correct answer lies. And I just think that's a, wh a wholesale incorrect. Like, Absolutely. Uh, uh, that, that conceptualization of political, the best way to run a society politically is just wrong. Right. And I think that although that I want to let us that subject, let us table for a minute, because like that's that on when you start getting into like uh, assumption, you know, popular consumption conceptions popular consumptions that too of of political models because that you know that's a that's a whole two other other thing um let us take a quick break and we will be back in a minute <laughs> i saw that in flutter and i was like oh. how to talk to, to your cat about gun safety i like the one about how to talk to your cat same, about abstinence the same thing is happening by the way with filmmakers where like can we have a? Can we? Yeah. yeah. Can we have a fucking ninety-minute movie again, please? That isn't like horror movies are still pretty good about being ninety minutes or less. Uh, but it's like, hey, Scorsese, I know you're good at making movies, but we don't need a three-hour movie about priests starving in Japan or whatever. Like we don't Game of uh, uh, Game of Thrones. I was about to say Gangs of New York was indulgent, almost four hours. Almost four hours. Yeah. What, what movie was it? There was a film I saw. Almost was, four hours. Sorry. There was no. There was <laughs> no, a film good. I saw that uh, was no. It was a. That's what it was. It was because at a certain point, at a certain point, um, um, it's like with with uh, with uh, Apatow really Apatow Adam McKay related comedies. Yeah. Where they started. Unlike, unlike with the early ones, it's at a certain. I don't know what year it was, but at a certain point, the they started including all of the alternate takes, all the alternate jokes, yeah. into the main film as opposed to cutting them out separate. Right. And the film and the comedy started getting diluted. Not just diluted, but they started going. It, it it was the thing where it, it went from ninety minutes up to like two hours, two yeah. and a half. For you know, for like it just sprawling things, it was like you know, because I can remember watching. Oh, that what it was watching Dewey Cox, the Walk Hard story, yeah. or the other way around, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. That's still only ninety minutes, and they sh and they but they cut like an entire, they cut an ent entire I don't know, half hour to hour out of it. Like the right. entire there's an entire section in the seventies that features you know when he got married to Cheryl Teagues. And hung out with uh, with Patrick Duffy. Is Cheryl Teague's actually in the movie? I'm I'm smiling. I was like, uh, "What do you think?" Yes, I think. Of yes. course, of course she is. is. She... Of course she is. It's like you have. Uh, yeah, is she still a fox? Sorry. Yes. 
I don't we're, know. We're broing out right now. That's good. No, bro. I'll bro. Cheryl you Teagues was one of the early Sports Illustrated swimsuit oh. models, maybe in the first edition of it. Um, definitely that era. I don't know if she was. Yeah, she was definitely like. Um, she was just like a, a very attractive yeah. woman in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway. I wanted to go somewhere with that. Nope, it's gone. But it's gone. no, just com comedies that go on too long that don't. Oh it, yeah, was it, wasn't wasn't it was it Trainwreck? I'm trying to remember what was it, or I'm trying to. Remember I didn't see Trainwreck. Well, there was I a couple it's, of them. It's kind of funny. It's just, just like they, what they're doing nowadays is that they're doing a bunch of different. And this is like the Judd Apatow style comedy where you just do a bunch of takes of them saying something funny mm -hmm. over and over again. Like my favorite is like uh, Paul Rudd in Forty um, Year Old Virgin, where he's all of the things he's he he's riffing on um anyway long story short that's how they make movies nowadays right right so. or he does anyway yeah i mean my my problem like like doug benson had a really funny joke where he said i saw uh i saw a couple of good movies this weekend uh they were called funny people mm -hmm. because funny people is so fucking long and it's basically two movies which i was already showing in 40 year old version he made that was two movies it was a it was a screwball bro comedy yeah. and a romantic, uh, a sort of offbeat romantic comedy. Yep. And I guess if you just make it sufficiently long, you you have a successful comedy now, as long as it appeals to a wide group of people. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm one of those people that I don't think that Judd Apatow is a genius. I think he's pretty funny, but no, but... he just found a good formula to use. Well, yeah, and I think well, again, it's the. It gets back to um, well, real quick. While we, uh, because this is a related topic, uh, Garrett can uh, or either one of you feel free to uh, if you can give a what's a working definition of credentialism. Just so we, again, we if <laughs> unlike with uh, every other bit of um, mass political conversation, we should at least define our terms. Right, um, and I want to do it as briefly as possible so as not to bore everyone to death. But, Brevity is the soul of wit. But uh, um, I, I. What I'm what I'm referring to when I say credentialism is the notion that because a person has certain, especially educational credentials, that we should listen to them or assume that they're, you know, superlatively brilliant. Um, yeah. It real quickly it manifests in two ways. I think in the in the in the more typically right wing, you see this sort of like neo, uh, that Gorka guy, uh, Sebastian Gorka, yeah, mm -hmm. Hugo Drax, who who British is, who accents is, who is, always make you sound smarter by, by most things that I've read so far show that he's not actually a strong academic, but he has attained academic, but uh, academic credentials, but it can also be just like diploma mill shit. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, like that's, that's how it generally tends to manifest on the right. On the left, it's the, the, um, the credentials are more legitimate. Like they did go to Princeton, they did go to Yale or wherever they went and they did achieve a master's or a PhD. But they did the work, but doesn't necessarily. Well, they did the work at least. Well, ostensibly, they did the work to get through the, to get through that slog. Right, and they they may have been good students. They may have been mediocre students. But but the the point is that we accept their credentials as somehow validity that that they have really supreme knowledge, but they haven't really shown us that they have. All they all they've done is offer us credentials. Yeah, we're conflating um, their meritoc—that's meritocracy—with moral superiority, which is, yeah. And I think, I think an aspect of the, and I'm sorry, Jeremy, because you were talking about exactly this as a term we might need to define. I think an aspect of the technocratic state is that we all assume that there's someone that understands this shit well enough to sort of run the machine. 
And my my supposition is that maybe no one's smart enough to run the machine. Yeah. And we need a we need div, diverse um, input into how the machine ought to be run. So exactly. it's not it's not just the experts and the credentialed that need to make decisions. It's also the rank and file everyday folks that need to make decisions. And that's why we need to design a democracy yes. that takes the uh, the attitudes and the criticisms of both those groups of people. Exactly. And I know I went a little bit on an aside, but I hope I defined credentialism well enough. Well, and and what it took, and because I want to do, um, use that as well, getting back to more of our Paul cultural point, because we are modern people. How else can we? Uh, how else can we understand reality of? People too successful, because I think we were talking a little bit about this off mic, people too successful to be edited. And <laughs> the, uh, again, there's the thing with go. like, with like, Apatow, with like Apatow comedies, it's kind of a thing where like you watch Dewey Cox, which is 90 minutes and it's great, even though there's an, I mean, hell, um, Anchorman has, they shot so much, there's an entire second film that they just kind of like yeah. loosely assembled and tossed on onto a second disc. Annie Hall is less than 90 minutes. And that movie tells a big ass story, right? So, uh, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I think there. If I were the dictator of this country, I would say you have to use film again. You cannot do digital media anymore because you guys are getting way too self indulgent with with the length of your films. Anyway, that's my aside. I think it's a good aside. But what um, talk? Well, I think the example we also used was well, there are many examples, but Stephen King for one where was just kind of at a certain point in the 80s when he became um the much like with Tom Clancy where it's like it's no longer author name it becomes more like branded logo yes. on of the cover when he when he when he did that and the books just became like just tomes yeah i've i've read the stand and also watched the entire miniseries highly recommend it uh no <laughs> Sorry, you but, don't recommend it. No, I mean it's just it, that, that it's an epitomization of how he was so, you know, self-indulgent to a way. Like if you if you know his Dark, Dark Tower series, he's self-referential. He even is in the series. I know, like yeah, towards so, the end, he, yeah. he becomes a character in it because he was trying to deal with like he got in that bad car wreck or whatever. When he got hit by a van, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which, I, to be honest, I think it's kind of cool. I, I think it is too. That's uh, uh, how you do it. Yeah. But again, I've never read Stephen King besides that. A little bit of the book he wrote about writing—that's the only. Yeah, I, lo- I love his work. I think he's a really excellent writer and a thinker. I just think that there's a point where you go from being kind of, um, you know, making a point to just kind of being heard. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and and, um, and he's an in industry now. You know what I mean? He's like he is. I haven't. He's got to keep pumping it out. Well. Yeah, I don't think I've read an. I I haven't read a newer book of his. Oh, I should say a book of his that's newer than I think the very end of the Dark Tower. Yeah, the um, I think I tried reading. I started reading Cell, which was his kind of like zombie book as transmitted through cell phones. Mm. Uh, which I get from all from all reviews uh, are that it's kind of it was interesting idea, but kind of not so successful in execution. Yeah, I, I, that sounds bad to me. I I have a, like a soft spot for that kind of like early '90s or to to kind of like almost to the aughts um, style of like uh, futuristic um, sort of fear te- panic kind of stuff. Um, yeah, because I'm yeah. a huge like Michael Crichton fan, and I even read a lot of Dean Koontz, which is the worst oh. of the. It, well, I don't I don't know it. Can we, can we talk about this? Yeah, you know, just 
it was it's just finding something as a basis for a horror book in general um that is so absurd in <laughs> hindsight like you know whether it be um like in congo when it's like intelligent gorillas killing <laughs> researchers or yeah. um you know amy murder yeah. that is funny though or um you know they he you know Crichton before he died had um what was the name of his nanotechnology one that was like swarm or something i just love looking back on that stuff because uh it just has this sort of kind of like quaintness to it and kind of comedic value that they didn't intend well, to have and the crazy thing is that it's obvious that michael Crichton loves technology like he's super he into it he's a doctor he was very very knowledgeable well dude. what i remember i've only read jurassic park and i read that when i was like about 13 yeah but what i remember about it was he would talk about like supercomputers and stuff yep and he knew he obviously knew a lot about it like he was really interested in it and then yet he makes tries to make predictions on it and i was like oh brother you know yeah he the thing about Crichton, i think you was that Every story was the same. Yeah, he couldn't. He could not. It was like a thing where he couldn't write. He uh, he could not write a. He couldn't write anything that, that wasn't Frankenstein. That wasn't mm -hmm. about a theme park. I'm just kidding. That too. The, well, yeah. the theme. The hey, the theme park. The theme park thing came in well, but it's a. Uh, um, that you know, there's always this cool new technology, and it's always going to go wrong and bad. Yep. And I think it's kind of. And it's. I oh, I see what you're saying. I think yeah, it leads to the the modern. I think the modern, like bullshit think piece economy because of the only way we can <laughs> uh paraphrasing um you know Zizek um you know quoting Frederick was it Frederick Jameson all the time about how it is easier to to envision the end of the world it's easier for us to picture what the end of the world you know the, the post apocalypse is than you know living in a in a world with you know after capitalism yeah right um similarly the only way we can think about the future is only in that's frederick jameson i think was jameson's was i think that, i love i just really like frederick jameson's like critique of postmodern art like uh i think that was the, i think that was the original story because i know jesus says it a lot i think that's the, i think that but i think he's quoting jameson but i you know don't hold me to that my uh, the last philosophy class i took was 20 years ago yeah well, and just it, for for anyone listening, Frederick Jameson has some really interesting ideas. Just FYI, Zizek, I'm not, I'm not as convinced that his ideas are that interesting. But I like how I like to go. This is how ideology functions today. Um, <laughs> yeah. I already am eating from the trash can all the time. The name of this trash can is ideology. The material force of ideology makes me not see what i'm effectively eating yeah it's to say i think it's at some point for what he is it's like yeah james adomian's version of him well is far is far more useful than <laughs> and far more uh, quotable than the actual guy slavo zizek um teaching a sex ed class this is the crisis that is faced by the american prophylactic industry <laughs> And that is the, the, the crisis international in scope, where Madonna could produce these fantasies of sexual sexuality. Well, it well the issue of the issue itself is caught, in fact, inside of the condom or whatever. Or if in in more of uh, uh, the analysis, in more of the analysis of the 
لكاني افرن لكاني انا نالي شيش ورن اي يو دي ود بي ابروبرياتور دي سيستمز And for this oppression, it is to me personally castration. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, going back. To but you, no, I just, oh, just. Oh no! You want to finish your point? Go I ahead. Just finish the point about, but in terms of like Michael Crichton stuff, in the, but it's it's always we can't um, because technology working the way it is, way the way it should. I guess it is like much like to say there's only 12 stories there's only 12 stories to tell mm-hmm. and technology working the way it is is not really a story it always has to go wrong yeah but the problem is is that we well that would be very boring technology yeah. working the way it should uh first well there's also there's the there there's the great Douglas Adams quote that I should probably insert somewhere about um you know it's kind of like anything that was Whatever existed before you were born isn't technology. It's kind of like only only stuff you know. People only get freaked out about technology that appears after a certain age. Or right. yeah. Anyway, but we can't gesture. You know, gesture like a like a like a, like a, like a like professor. Yeah. <laughs> um, we can't we can't imagine. Uh, it's like it's, because it is a castration uh, of. The, no, I don't. <laughs> just have to use Freudian terms. I'm sorry. Go That's ahead. Great. Yeah, it's, but we can't. We can't imagine. It's kind of. It's far. I think because of the the tropes in modern movie making, and that it is a hell of a lot cheaper to make a post apocalyptic Mad Max outback desert. It's yeah. a hell of a lot easier to film that than it is to make, uh, you know, um. You know, uh, bright, uh, shiny, clean future. Yeah, bright, yeah. shiny, clean future. Star Trek. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Star Trek like, pun of like, you know, post-socialist reality, where you know, where thanks to, thanks to these, you know, hu- you know, to the eugenics and third and World War Three, it cleaned out the planet. You know, everybody died, and then the, the survivors, you know, built this this future. Yeah. Showing well, showing the uh, more a more uh, positive or happier future. Is a hell of a lot more expensive and harder to do than just talk, you know, than just like you know, shooting out in the woods or in the desert mm-hmm. and tossing stuff around. But so the problem is, is that every time we have um, any movie about technology, is always about it going wrong, and so you always have people like like every time like any advance in say any sort of like machine learning is or AI comes around, oh, yeah. it is always the word that they always use within like the first three lines is Skynet. <laughs> because right. Yeah. Because yeah. all you know, everything. Well, I think maybe it's because hey, you know, it's like we can, um, you know, there there are no value neutral tools. Yeah. And um, you know, this stuff is all made by humans. Well, what do you think about that? Do you? Because like, I'm afraid of strong AI. Like, I honestly am. Like, like, if you can make machines that are smart enough to make machines smarter than them. Yeah. That's a scary world. To me, that's a scary world. Whatever. I'm Grandpa Garrett. I don't give a shit. That freaks me out. <laughs> I think it's. I think it can be. It is not necessarily. It doesn't. It isn't always. Um, it doesn't necessarily. You know, it's kind of like it doesn't necessarily lead to Skynet. But I think the problem is because we we use we use we use we use film to envision. You know, as our main sort of like cultural envisioning now. Yeah. And just be, and anything and what we our brains are wired such that we cling to the more dynamic the more you know, we need like we need Terminator films and that's how we envision the future because Terminator films are dynamic they're exciting there's you know yeah um, open war and shit yeah we're gonna go back to the base human instincts of fear and violence and you know survival yeah um, 
I'm really interested in this and in, in how much post-apocalyptic thinking has like I mean it is it is widespread like yeah. like as far as just what we're entertained by nine out of ten things that are franchise and, and that people love and I'm talking like normies you know and I'm not talking yeah. about like geeks like is post-apocalyptic I just think it's so interesting but how would you make a compelling story about a techno a technologically advanced future without that sort of conflict you know what I mean you the problem um, humanity doesn't change even though our gear does yeah um, there's there's enough it's kind of like there are you know there are still ways to there are still ways to do conflict that aren't like that aren't Frankenstein that's not like you know this new tech we have going wrong yeah. but um now we're all over the place but I want <laughs> anyway quick th to finish up on our like you know people too people too successful to be edited I think J K Rowling got that point too yeah. yes. the reason why all of the Harry Potter book it's kind of yeah they get like so successful in like you know, through one, re you know, so su success and power that it's like kind of they can overwhelm any editor. Yeah. Martin yeah. Scorsese, I'm looking at you, motherfucker. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson, I feel like I want to blame Paul Thomas Anderson for all of this. I know that's not fair, but I just want to. I, yeah. Those, his movies are ex extremely long. That guy's third movie was like something where it was like, okay, you can cut 45 minutes out of this and still tell a really good story. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. That was his third fucking movie. Sorry, I blew up. It's okay. Edit your films, Paul Thomas Anderson. Listen to me. Love me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, and it, talking about going to like, so for example, they're coming out with a new Star 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 Trek series, right? Um, you'd think after having seven or eight series that they wouldn't have anything else to say, but there's always something to, something to say within mm -hmm. this. Like, but they're not. Instead of going forward in the future, they're going back. So pre-enterprise, so like with Spock's dad and like Sarek, you know, and it, it, you know, there, there's this kind of like, it's like we we are having a really hard time imagining a better future. I think that's postmodernism in general, right? Well, but you just struck on it too, um, and I think that maybe that's the point you're trying to make. Is yeah. That Star Trek was the thing where it's like, hey, look at all this technology and yeah. look how, and like it's great. You know what I mean? I, that was such an obvious thing, and I feel like a real dummy. No. And I'd like to hang no. up my podcasting license. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, you know, and even Star Trek changed over time. You know, I think when, when Robin, Roddenberry had really strict rules about how you could write. He did not allow the kind of basic humanity stories of like of, of greed or, or war usually mm -hmm. they typically had to do with a kind of the high-minded logic can solve everything which is which is where we get kind of some of this intellectual superiority like complex uh... that we have um you know that you can talk your way out of things or you can convince people to um you know be peaceful diplomatic you know cross alien <laughs> the, yeah all that, all that is all that is required you know why can't people just come together over a beer and work out their issues yeah well like, do you remember um i i remember a big facet of children's programming and remember i don't know if children's programming is still like this but there used to be a requirement by law that there had to be some sort of moral lesson in oh, every really? episode of a cartoon and that's why like oh yeah the he-man so, like, yeah so the he-man the he-man or the or the gi joe ones who wants a body massage where like they were like well we're not going to teach that lesson we're going to teach it in in a, in, in a 40 second thing at the <laughs> end of the episode which is fine oh I my guess. god can i can i insert a little yes go uh, for it. um they were they've played he-man on a local station and followed by she-ra which was I, for a couple of years i was watching that and there was one there's one episode and you can just go look it up on youtube but basically there's a pc 
PSA about um, this is this is going to sound horrible that I'm laughing about it, but about you know being inappropriately touched. Shira and I want to talk to you about something that's very personal: your body. Remember, it's your body, and no one should touch you in a way that you feel is wrong. And they're like, you should tell your priest, your rabbi, or your parents. I'm like, in that order. And we're like, okay, all right. If you've been touched that way, don't be ashamed. Tell someone you trust, like your parents, your doctor, your teacher, or counselor, or your minister or rabbi. Right, Arco? Right on! Good job, He-Man. Well, I don't have a priest, but I'll... I'm sorry. Just, no, that's it, fine. It's, just, it's, it's like bookended on the, on the back no, of an episode. And, and you know? now I can't remember where I was going with that. But I, I, I mean, basically what I was saying is I don't know if they still do that. But shit, what were we talking about just before that? Oh. This is such a disjointed episode. That's okay. Everything from uh, people who can't be edited to... I guess that's part of the benefit is maybe we should be thankful that LPs could only hold 45 minutes of music. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. And like... In a sense, it's like the the limitations of technology sort of it sometimes make creativity stronger. Do you know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. Um, and, and it also somewhat relies on luck when you're when you're restrained by whatever medium you're using. So let's say a vinyl LP, which which can hold maybe twenty three minutes or something. Per on side. the side, yeah, yeah, and it forces you to make choices and we've gotten to a point where we don't have to make choices anymore. You know what I mean? Like, no. like, like, especially with literally everything is available digitally now, except for physical items, which soon will not, that will not be the case. 3d printing will be sophisticated enough that, you know what I mean? Yeah. We, we can, we can make very interesting and maybe complex objects, uh, in our homes. Yeah. And then what is there a limit to anymore? You know what I mean? And then we all get so bored. Everything's open source? Oh, it's so boring. And then we, we fucking fantasize about a world in which everything's falling apart. Uh, you yeah. know what I mean? To bring it back to a post-apocalyptic thing. Mm -hmm. Because that's a simpler world. Yeah. It's a world of, of, of simple drives and simple needs, even though it sounds horrible. Well, you know what I mean? It's yeah. a giant reset button. Exactly. And, and it's very much a fantasy because, I mean... I just love the idea that people fantasize about, you know, surviving and living off the grid. And unfortunately, just the way that the world that we live in, you know, we are reliant on so much of our information from, you know, either the Internet or in general, you know, we've kind of lost the ability to go to a library and research something and mm -hmm. find it in a book. Right. Because um, everything's at your fingertips. So, I mean, it's it. The idea that we would become you know, better people if we were just disconnected and, you know, go back to the land, you know, Luddite kind of thing mm -hmm. is, I think, just a, a kind of just a new fantasy. And it's just, it's... It's very naive. It's very naive, yeah. I would say, well, there's that, but I, I would say it's a, it's a new form of an old fantasy mm -hmm. of post, well, enlightenment or post-enlightenment. It's a romanticism. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a form of romance, but it's a gross romanticism, by the way. Like, like to to think that somehow a Walking Dead type world would be fun or preferable to, you know what I mean? To not that people necessarily think that. I should I should probably there there are more than a few people who would. Again, it's kind of um, 
what did Freud say? Was it Freud was, was like you talking about how like the whole point of what he was working on was to was because the default state of human existence was disappointment, <laughs> and he like his work was trying to get rid of at least the extreme, yeah, uh, the extreme sadness from the disappointment. He he he's he's basically said, and this is a a a horrible paraphrase. He said, "I want to take sort of the." the sort of uh, horrifying neuroticism of modern life and transform it back into the normal sort of normal human unhappiness. I, mm-hmm. yeah, he's, I know he says something about normal or something like that human unhappiness. Like our, our, our basic state is one of sort of like disappointment. Well, we're never really that happy, uh, but it's better than this, you know, better than being a terrible neurotic, which he, he, I think he thought, I mean, based on like one of the only Freud books I've read, cover to cover is civilization and its discontents mm-hmm. and i think he was trying to basically say that like modern life makes us ne- neurotic and ne- neurosis necessarily wasn't as big a problem until mo- modernity kicked in you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. i don't is that what you're talking about jeremy yeah it's, it's either i'm trying to remember if it's either neurosis or trying to get rid of like the drive for extreme happiness yeah um oh yeah so i've never heard that I can't remember. I think part of this. I know that part of this is it's is leeching over from one of the five thousand podcasts that I listen to mm-hmm. every week. Um, Discourse creep. Yes, <laughs> that's a good word. Is for that it. is that a thing? I'm. I'm I think if we it can. Is not, we I'm can coin it. I'm now. coining it. One thing I do want to go back to is, I think, especially uh, Natasha, I think because you think you can speak to this more is, or at least from your own, uh, your own, um, your own point of view on it or your own take on it Mm -hmm. is going back to the, um, like the, the, the weird, like red pillar Gamergate shit that you were talking about earlier on. Uh I I think that we diverged off onto one of our thousand topics. Yeah. I think. Going back to that, I mean, I've been on Reddit for a very, very long time. I think since two thousand nine. What's your Reddit handle? Um, you don't have to tell. People I used know. to have one that was had a lot of karma attached to it, but I actually just reset it, and you know, I lurked for years, and then I started just the only comments that I have on my Reddit account are yelling at people on the Star Wars speculation subreddit, and telling them to <laughs> shut the fuck up about, especially when it comes to like talking about women, which they do all the time in a horrible way. But um, going this you know, fan theory about your favorite Star Wars women, which... yeah, yeah. Um, so with. <laughs> I can I can I can kind of come from the perspective of having grown up and been one of those types that was I'm not like other girls. I'm a smart girl. I am interested in stuff that guys traditionally like. I like gaming. I like comic books. I like all these kind of things. Nerd shit. Uh, yeah, nerd shit. I am a nerd. Um but what happens is that you kind of end up with this this false dichotomy, right? That women have to either kind of be more like men to be more, you know, acceptable and they need to, you know, not push their agendas or their kind of, um, what's the word, their narratives onto Mm -hmm. uh, what is considered male dominion, right? Um, That's where Gamergate was such a huge thing is because, you know, Sarkeesian, is that her last name? Anita? Um, Yep. I'm not connected enough to it to know. So the the whole thing about Gamergate was that she came in as a kind of an independent journalist and she's, she, you know, was doing crowdfunding too to write about how women are portrayed in video games. Not just women in gamer culture, but... And just... she was the one... Sorry. She was the one that spawned it? 
she was the kind of the touch point for how every and then everything kind of cascaded from there. Touch okay. point is a good thing because like the, these were the, the uh, for, yeah for the spawning longest... it sort of makes me seem like I'm accusing her and I'm not. No, but... no, no. I uh -huh. think I think it was yeah that was that was her thing was just kind of like where everything kind of focused and touched off. Yeah. Because uh, it was also the same time that the Gamergate thing hit, which was um, just a, a whiny bullshit story uh, that. Uh, a writer in was it Kotaku or is it was it Gizmo? Kotaku, I think, right? Yeah, in Kotaku, you know, Kotaku because he got pissed off on, you know, he, you know, fell upset because of the you know his former hookup girlfriend. Oh yeah, so um, like these things all came kind of came together yeah. and formed in 2013, 2014. Yeah, but but like so sorry. Okay. Just to just to metaphorize it a little bit, yeah. Is it basically like she was dropped the baseball-sized snowball onto the top of the hill, and then it started cascading from there? Would, would that be the? I think it was like so that was there was already kind of a, a a a mass churning, right? And then you have something that is introduced, and it just aggregates around it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right, it, kind of like this inchoate inchoate miasma yeah. of shit floating around and then they got it's kind of this became a point that let them uh, a tangible point with like both Hearst both um both the Gamergate stuff and as well as uh, as our Sarkeesian's feminist frequency video series yeah became you know and it, which at some point it was just because she was doing this and it was like the, the the actual points she brought up, valid or not, or you know whatever. Pro it was kind of like whatever uh, you agreed with, or ha maybe had issues with how she presented it. Was kind of like almost immaterial. Just that she was doing that, and become it became uh, an icon for pe for people for you know just kind of really like in uh, um, what I think Michael Kimmel describes as aggrieved entitlement okay yeah that's that's perfect All right. yeah yeah I, I feel like i'm i'm sorry i feel like my ignorance of this subject sort of took it off course no but, no but not at all ahead. i was I, I think it's a that's a perfect way to summate it um the idea that the criticism that's being lobbed at you you take as a personal attack because this is something you identify with and whether it be gaming or whether it be male internet culture in general like you know calling it out is in itself seen as a personal attack not on this you know not on the system but on the people in the system and then it's sort of like you have this whole reactionary thing that comes out of it um you know i'm from the you know, spending time in 4chan back in the day <laughs> Yikes. yeah i did um you know there are no women on the internet right like we i believe that <laughs> it's either that or um you know it, just the kind of, that kind of me to like seeing that kind of uh seed into this whole red pill movement and the men's rights movement mm -hmm. and a lot of it is of course reactionary because you have these men growing up and they are getting into relationships and then having children and then obviously they're dealing with some really horrible stuff around family court like they make fun of on chapo all the time yeah they do make so let me ask you this like like relating it back to pearlstein's article yeah. where he's kind of talking about how they tend to try to use like basically pseudoscience yes. to make their point all the time have you ever seen any examples of that oh like, well i mean the red pill narrative is there's alpha and beta males i mean mm -hmm. you know wolves don't actually have those kind of dynamics they found um but they're still using that kind of language of of um this kind of yeah they're gonna find anything that they can to support your theory i mean of course 
now that we but have... there's got to be a lot of theories, and sorry. Oh, no, um, go ahead. There's got to also be a lot of theories about, like, well, women are naturally supposed to be, like, X, and it's really an aberration nowadays that women, yeah. you know, behave in such and such well, ways and that, you know what I mean? You just... Like, <laughs> essential bio truths. Yeah. Well, right. They but do. That, but that's what they trade in. Like, yeah. that's that's the way... And, 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 and again, tying it back to Pearlstein's article is, is, is this notion of... We're going to use pseudoscience and sometimes pretty labyrinthine, you know, theories about it that are confusing. That are confusing for smart people yeah. uh, um, to to back up basically a, a, a pre-existing internal uh, prejudice that they have. You know that that they're supposed to be on top of the pyramid, and that women are supposed to be, oh yeah, maybe perhaps somewhere below them. Or at least some women are supposed to. I don't know. Yeah. I, it, and they kind of define it in terms of the biological, right? They A lot of the narrative is that women select for sex. I was listening to Sam Harris recently. He had actually like a psychologist that was kind of talking about this narrative that women genetically are the ones that make the decisions and choose male and be, you know, based on that. And I, I have a lot of argumentation against that because I feel historically women haven't all haven't really been given an opportunity to select for sex at all. Like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> um, so <laughs> like, I, like a, a good chunk of civilization has been to be like, how do we take women's choice out of sexual? You yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, uh, That's been like hundreds of years of it. Now you're telling us that we you know we we're the ones running the show and choosing whether or not men are alphas or betas and that kind of bullshit. It's just treating women as objects, not people. And it's and making it's men. That's so interesting. Making men. Uh, the victims. Yes. I think that's so interesting. That's the narrative. And it's really weird to see from the position of being a woman because it's sort of like everything that you read and even the women writing about how they're, you know, they're the women that support the men's right movement in the Red Pill. The, I don't even know what the subreddit is, but there is literally a subreddit for women that support Red Pill and talk about, you know, whether they're talking about supporting the men that they have or being the kind of woman that chooses an alpha over a beta, that kind of thing. Oh, it's I bet just they have bitchin' memes. Oh no, they're they're completely humorless because they are incapable of understanding how awful they are, and they think that they're they're wow, serious. They, yeah, they can't be tongue in cheek about their own thing. Wow. No, no, um, yeah. The the more likely that you aren't self, you know, the more not self aware you are, the less likely it is that you're going to be able to find something humorous about what you're doing. Right. Good so, grief. Yeah. yeah. Um. That's why no liberals are right about things. <laughs> no, not liberals, but leftists. Yeah, I, I just find these these. With the accessibility of information on the internet, you can find multiple argu arguments to support your narrative, but if you're not drawing from reality at all, and you're treating other human beings as, as not thinking or not or not capable of of complex thought, I think yeah. that's kind of the essential problem that we're dealing with because everybody is trying to quantify people down into data points you know mm -hmm. they want yeah the, the world doesn't work that way and that's all. just the conventional internet have either of you guys ever been on the dark web i've never been on the dark web but i've read a lot about it but Ooh, i haven't been freaks. there it's so scary it's scary uh it's it's i can't i can't i don't think i have but it's kind of it's one of those things where if I were if I were swifter, it would be an off, it, that would be, that would be an awesome place to put a joke in. <laughs> Have I ever? Why? I, you know, like, the dark web is when you x x x x. You right. know, you insert joke here. Yeah. Yeah. Me and my girlfriend entered the dark web last night, and that's some sort of gross sex act or something. I don't yeah. know. Well, it's usually where people just go to get uh, drugs and really wrong. 
porn. Well, that's the thing, right? That's the thing I'm afraid of. Uh, the the drugs are fine. It's like, what, you want to get Percocet? Fine. I don't give a shit. But, yeah. Uh, or whatever, elephant tranquilizer. <laughs> Crocodile or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, nuke from RoboCop 2. Yeah. <laughs> the greatest health threat facing our nation. Nuke. The most addictive narcotic in history. This station has just received the following transmission from Kane, convicted murderer and leader of the nuke cult. People want paradise, and they will have it. Jenkum. Anywho. Of course, you don't really need to buy Jenkum. Jenkum is something you can, you know, that's the whole, it's a, it's a democratized drug. You can make it, a, you know. I don't know Jenkum. What's that? Um, that's a, one of those one of the million pop culture references I don't. I don't know it either. Jenkum, J E N K E K E M was kind of a this God. This was nine years ago because I remember definitely um, back in Tickety Two. Yeah, because <laughs> the Kaiser had taken all of our uh, all of, our word twenty or whatever. Yeah, all our twenties. <laughs> we just said Dickety. Um, Jenkum was yeah. like, I can, it was, a, it was one of those, like, uh, still, you know, which still happens, like, kind of like half, half moral panic, half kind of like clueless adults freaking out what, about what the kids are doing. Like bath salts. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but this was, but it was the thing was like, I guess kids were like using, using like sewer gas to get high on. <laughs> no way. Again, that was the thing of, um, let me look at so it. What, was, was it real? It was. I don't. Was I real? I. It's. It's one of those things where the nature of the coverage is such that will um, just by you know covering it as a story, it will make it become a thing because you'll get dumb. Yeah, like right. the uh, satanic panic. Yeah. Or do you remember the thing where... Here it, yeah, okay, here it is. Jenkum. Jenkum is a supposed uh, inhalant and hallucinogen created from uh, fermented human waste. Oh, I do. I've, I have heard a little bit about this. Methane, get you high? Is that what it is? Legalize it, man. All drugs should be legal. All drugs should be legal. Why? Because people want to get high. That's right. People think about getting high right now. People are like, damn, how much longer in the show? Get high, man. You could give it to all the illegal drugs in the world. Won't mean shit. People want to get high. You give it all the crack, all the herb, all the blow. You know what happened? People were just thinking new ways of getting high. That's right. Guys would go in their basement and become scientists. Like, yo, check this out. Check this out. You know, if you get a baby's bottle, right? Fill it up with a little gasoline and a dead lima bean and suck it, you'll be fucked up. In November, in, the, in November 2007, there was a moral panic in the United States after widespread reports of Jenkum becoming a popular rec recreational drug in middle and high schools, though the true extent of the practice has since been called into question. Several sources reported the increase in American media coverage was based on a hoax and on faulty Internet research. Here is a shocking heads up for parents about teen drug use. One Florida Sheriff's Department warns there's a new way for your kids to get high. And as Fox City's Jack Miller reports, they're using raw sewage. The Washington Post, the Drudge Report, and Inside Edition are all talking about Jenkum. It could be uh, toxic and, and harming. The bulletin describes Jenkum as gas produced by raw sewage that's allowed to ferment. Pictures show young people who appear to be breathing in Jenkum. When we mentioned this new concoction to people on the street here in Jacksonville, not only had they never heard of it before, but they said they didn't want to get anywhere near it. It sounds horrible. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine doing something like that. Honestly, mm -hmm. they need to find something better to do with their life. Seriously, because that's just insane. I can't imagine anybody doing something like that. Sounds pretty sick to me. Uh-huh. Okay. Not anything you would ever consider? Never. This confidential internal document from Collier County was leaked by someone inside the sheriff's office. Deputies say it's no big deal because all the information in the memo is available on the Internet, and there wasn't enough concern to warn parents about Jenkum when the memo was written back in September. We had no known information that this actually occurred in Collier County. But he says what is known is that students are talking about it and parents need to be aware. Sewage is toxic and it's handled uh, hat with, as a biohazard. We weren't able to confirm tonight if Jenkum is a problem for law enforcement in our area. Cops are calling it Jenkum or the human waste drug, but parents need to be aware that kids are calling it by the more popular slang term, butt hash. Jack Miller, Fox 30 News. Do, do you remember there was one, a, a, a techno one from the past five years where kids were getting high somehow by like, I don't know, watching some sort of epilepsy-inducing thing and, like, listening to some crazy sounds. ASMR? N no. Or, or, bina or kind of like binaural, yeah. like binaural tones? Yeah, it's basically something that's supposed to, like, throw your brain out of whack, and yeah. then you get high for about five minutes or something, and then, like, uh, I don't know, you and then it's like... They don't even need drugs to do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like it's, your kids are fucked. Like, yeah, like, it's yeah. Again, we smoking banana peels in whatever form yeah. will always be a thing. Uh, that's so fun. I love that actually. I kind of it just it makes me think of like high school kids looking finding this stuff on the internet and like <laughs> just not knowing what they're doing. Well, there was the thing about uh, nutmeg would get you. Oh high, yeah, and yeah. You would, yeah. And you would hallucinate, but it's really hard to like eat very much nutmeg. You just end up vomiting. Well, we. Uh, me and some buddies in high school tried to do it, and we thought you were supposed to smoke it, and we smoked a lot of nutmeg, <laughs> and nothing fucking happened. No. Uh, but then they were like, oh, you're supposed to eat it, and then we ate it, and it's like, fucking, it sucks. Eating a lot of nutmeg sucks. Yeah. Uh, You'll never want to eat it. Explicitly referenced in, a, in even like an episode of Beavis and Butthead. You got any more nutmeg? Uh, I don't think so. That's okay. That's okay, man. That's okay. That's okay. I don't need any. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, it's like... That's probably where we got it from. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like, no, I don't think we need any more of this nutmeg. <laughs> this nutmeg sucks. Yeah. All right, and we will use this point to transition into one of the few things we have for a segment on the show, uh, which I really need to come up with a title for, but whatever. Uh, recommendations, what have you been consuming that you want to share what is on your check the shit out list for today? Do you want to go first this time, or are you not ready? I can go first. Yeah, go first. Um, mine's mine's kind of pop culturey because um, I've been watching um, television shows, but I've been um, catching up on uh, The Expanse, which is um, sci-fi channel, Canadian-made sci-fi, really, really good um, future kind of. You know, we've colonized the um, solar system, and all the kind of dynamics that go on between like Earth and Mars and the uh, asteroid belt, like colonies. It's it's, mm -hmm. it's really fascinating. I love it a lot. Um, and also Legion, which is a new FX show about. Um, well, it's a X Men show. I don't know if anybody's familiar with the original comic book character. He was a uh, Professor X's kid in the comics, and he was a very high functioning um, mutant who had tele pathic things but the show itself i didn't expect it to be 
I don't expect anything from that kind of stuff because it's so, you know, like television especially, it kind of sucks nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, but the show, the, like the, it's, it's, it's a bizarrely written show because it's supposed to be from the point of view of the main character. He's schizophrenic. So there's the unreliable narrator kind of thing going on. But the actual filming filmography that they're doing with very low budget is really good. Um, they have a, it has a very Kubrick 60s, 70s feel to it. Cool. Um, Does it take place in the 60s and or 70s? No, it just kind of takes place. It, all the fashion and design within the show is 60s and 70s, but like it's almost like an alternate future, right? Oh, like, or an okay. alternate universe where you have futuristic stuff like they have tablets and like their mm-hmm. their you know computers and screens and stuff like that. But it's all kind of like got this very 60s 70s vibe to it and um so the show itself is is plotted and written really not it's it's hard it's like american horror story meets david lynch basically Hmm. um but i've been really enjoying just watching it for the visual element of it because it's really beautifully made all right cool yeah and that's about it for me um i've got i've got a stack i've got four recommendations this week but i'm gonna make them as brief as possible one is that i never recommend music on this show and the reason i never do is because uh, I don't listen to any new music, and it's just a weird prejudice that I have. So I'm going to recommend something old that I bet most of you haven't heard of. It is a woman. Her name is Alice Clark. Um, she made a self-titled record in the maybe 1970, around there. basically soul music i would say it's soul music with less of an r&b influence and more of an art more of a jazz influence it feels a little more improvisational Hmm. she's got a beautiful expressive voice she is a kind of an enigma there's really not a lot of information about her on the internet so if if anyone listening knows something about alice clark the record again self-titled the song that that drew me in is a song called uh Never did I ever stop loving you. It, mm-hmm. It's just terrific. And wonder where you were. Then I ripped you from my mind. Cause I thought you didn't care. Oh, but here I am. Again. A book uh, is called Debt. It's by Michael or David Graeber. He wrote it several years ago. Um, it's really interesting. You'd have to be an expert in a lot of things to really read it super critically. Uh, but it is a fun read, and, and I've read some criticism of it, and it it takes takes away from some of the excitement I felt about it. But it is still a really good and interesting read. Can you spell Graeber? G R A E B E R. Thank you, Jeremy, because that is it, it is not necessarily spelled how it sounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to recommend a podcast. It's called High Fi Nation. Going back to Jeremy's comment about the sort of uh, This American Lifeification of, of audio entertainment. This is one of those shows. Okay. But if you guys like philosophy or, you want, or you're just interested in, in especially issues in contemporary philosophy but that are told in an entertaining way, this is a really good podcast for that. Um, the most recent one is about, like, for instance, science. Like, like uh, um, how do we know that something is scientifically relevant? And they, and they talk. They do two episodes. One's about... One's about um, why why we don't necessarily consider like research on um paranormal mm-hmm. stuff uh legitimate science and maybe we, and and maybe we should yeah uh, and then the second episode is about what we consider legitimate science and how a lot of it isn't because of stuff like p hacking are you guys familiar with p hacking it's basically I've using heard of st- it. it's basically using statistics to oh, yeah. to to um 
to make a scientific claim to get yourself sort of academic credential uh-huh. that you don't necessarily deserve. It happens a lot in psychology, evidently. But anyway, it's a really good podcast. The last thing I would like to plug, I'm trying to do these rapid fire, is my buddy Eric. Um, actually, Jeremy, do you want to do yours? Because I have to look up something. Okay. Uh, I, I have two books two books to check out. One is but a newer book came out uh, earlier this year, put out by AK Press. It's called uh, Hegemony How To, A Roadmap for Radicals by Jonathan Matthew Smucker. This is a, a book that... Written by a guy who, you know, been organizing for almost like two decades. He did a lot of stuff with Occupy. He's, uh, I think he's, he's helped cover like Black Lives Matter and some earlier bits, but it's a, it's almost, it is a direct response. It's both kind of like an instructional thing of like how you actually get, do these things. You know, if you want, okay, um, because we've been so depoliticized as a, as a culture for like four decades or more. But like a lot of our activist movements have come around to the point where nobody is, other people have mentioned, and we've even like referred to those mentionings on this show, that a lot of people who are, you know, organizer or activist types have a problem with the, I guess, the messy realm of actual, of actual power and politics. Mm-hmm. And that we've only, and it was kind of a thing where we could, we only make, Cultural, it's kind of like only making like cultural criticisms, but not say, inst- but not, not going or having cultural power, but not say institutional power. Yeah. And, and not, and, but not really wanting that. And he gets the entire book is kind of like, like talking about why Occupy kind of fizzled out and, um, what happens when you get kind of like weird cultural assumptions that say come in from, you know, work more like fashion or for example, it's like, Hey, you know, it's like, we just, you know, we discovered this band and like, you know, and it's it's in the desire for, uh, the obscure, the, you know, the desire of like, we're the only ones, you know, we're the, we're the hardcore. You probably haven't heard of it yet. Yeah. (laughs) It's like that. the, The thing is that doesn't, that doesn't help when you're trying to say, organize a mass movement. He gets into that. There's all, I mean, it's the point of even like, you know, Getting to everything from like the theory of like you know at some point either, you know talking about like the you know like almost like postmodern theory and like his response to that of like yeah all the postmodern postmodernists broke down what these systems were but they, they stopped and like they and it's kind of like they made the they they made the assumption that because they were able to break down these systems um, that you know not, all the work was done that you know it was kind of like yeah uh, so you or they assumed that. Others were going to do it in the future, right? You know what I mean. Which is that's how scholarship works. But yeah, it's as the, as has been mentioned. One of the problems with Occupy is that the uh, what they call you know the prefigurative politics, prefigurative culture that you know they were going to model what the what the ideals, the way that they were going to conduct their their movement was was based on the idea of what they wanted society to eventually evolve into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, uh, but the, a lot, they made a lot of bad assumptions with that along the way, and the book helps gets in, gets into it. And it's one of the it's it's a book that I enjoy so much that I bought a a bought I bought a hard copy on so I can like you know kind of browbeat people I know. You know, say, like, dude, you gotta you know you really need to check this out because it's yeah. kind of like it gets into. Yeah, I want to read that. Same. It's kind of a, it's kind of a thing where like I mean we see it now but it's like it's realizing that um and we'll we'll see and we're going to be seeing it for a while because that's how culture is is like you know 
at some point, more and more people need to realize you can't have a revolution without normies. Yeah. That's true. Very true. And and it's at some point you just kind of have to shrug off. Um, you um, you have to get away uh, get away from ideas about purity. Yeah. And purity right now is uh, because of heightening distinction because it gets you a lot of, uh, you know, gets you a lot more clicks and so it's valued as a thing to do on the internet and it's a... Um, you know, it's it's terrible and destroying a lot of things. Exactly. Agreed. So, a great book called uh, you know, Hegemony: How to a Roadmap for Radicals by Jonathan Matthew Schmucker, put out by AK Press. The other book is let me reach over and grab it. Ugh. Put out by a mix, uh, a co-production from Jacobin Magazine and Verso Books. Just got my copy. Yep. I read that. Yep, called the ABCs of Socialism. They put it out. It was it's a collection of 10, 12 essays, I guess. Kind of like I think due to the popularity, you know, kind thanks to kind of like the cultural what explosion point. Yeah. The breaking point that was the Bernie Sanders campaign. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it's kind of between that and hitting a time when you know, regular, you know, kind of like uh, traditional political speech and whatnot was falling apart. And all of a sudden, hey, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, you you could, you have this, you know, this, this funny guy out out of, uh, you know, out of the Northeast with a funny accent talking about socialism. And so, you know, kind of, you have like left, leftist, you know, reintroducing words that we haven't talked about in five decades or more. Yeah, because it was a dirty word for a long time. Oh, yes. And so they, they put out this handy little book. It's a kind of a neat little like handbook of, um, you can get it for. I mean, you. It's they, free online. Uh, you just the book is so much more beautiful. Yeah, they, they, the the PDF. You can get the PDF from I think Jacobin's website for free or mm-hmm. really cheap. The actual hard copy. I mean, you can, they have it. They have a stack of them at Powell's. This one I got because they put it. They had it on a real good sale at the, um, you know, through their website. But yeah, it's just called the ABCs of Socialism. I'm just breaking down of like it's like answering. It's um. It is very much a. Uh, like a like a beginning, you know, like a like a beginning fact or uh, yeah, or like how to. It's a primer. Yeah, that's it's a primer. the way. That's the way they say it. Is basically, it's a it's a fact for for socialism. For those are the questions they get asked a lot. Yeah, and they're like, and so they have. I mean, you have everybody from. Let's see, where's the, where's the Karl Marx? Just well, no, okay, yeah, writers in here. Um, Karl Marx would be happy to know that book exists. Yeah, uh, Kianga Yamada Taylor is in here. Boom. Um, Danny Ketch, Vivek Chibber. Vivek Nicole, Chibber's good. N- Nicole Ashoff, uh, Jonah Birch. Um, yeah. And, Bill uh, Bennett. Baskar Sankara. Yeah, and a lot of... Uh, no, Beb- <laughs> what? Uh, no, I'm fr- I'm fairly certain William I, Bennett is not in I there. I wanted to throw some start throwing some right wing writers oh, in uh, just just to be funny, but Bill Bennett was the only one I could come up with. Quick. My my dad had that fucking book on the, uh, <laughs> the the Gamora one. Was that Bill Bennett? No, I don't think so. Okay. No, it was no, it was the like the what is it the book was it the book of virtues or something? Yeah, I think that is Bill Bennett. I think you're right. So yeah, he my sucks. two recommendations are the ABCs of socialism. Put out by uh, Jacobin and Verso Books, and uh, Jonathan Matthew Schmucker's Hegemony How to. So there you go. There's your there is your reading assignment, ladies and gentlemen. And here's my final one, a quick one. My buddy Eric Carlson is a photographer, mm-hmm. and he does nature photography. Um, and he was born to do this. So I just want to I just want to pimp him out a little bit. Nice. Um. And his he's got a Patreon. It's it's patreon.com slash 
Portland Birder, B-I-R-D-E-R. Yes, he takes wonderful pictures of birds. For $5, you get all sorts of pictures of birds. Uh, This is, is of course, not for everybody, and it makes me sound like a real man, not only approaching middle age, but but solidly in late middle age. But I love bird photography. Me too. And my friend, I'm telling you, was born to do this. So So go to his Patreon. Give him 5 bucks a month. Um, because yeah, he's just, it's, it's what he's supposed to do. And, and, and it is incumbent upon us all to fund him in that, in that endeavor. Uh, but yeah, again, patreon.com slash Portland birder. Nice. You won't regret it. Tell him Garrett sent you. Yeah. Oh, I just, and I, the, uh, on the subject of one more recommendation, the baffler has, it's actually has their own podcast now. The title of it. It's called Baff! Exclamation point. I'm just kidding. It's not. <laughs> I think I have it on here too. The 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 title is um, called uh, Experts Baffled. The uh, Baffled uh, episode one: The Politics of Smart. The first episode really is like the uh, is the editor in chief of the Baffler of Chris Lehman talking to Rick Perlstein about both his history and about the article, and it's a great companion piece to the article that we're mm-hmm. talking about today, and it gets into a lot of stuff. Because one of the bits, I think, I can't remember if it's in this conversation or one that I listened to, which is an, an interview with Dave Weigel. Weigel earlier this week talking about one of the biggest um the biggest misconceptions about you know that we have is just the the really inaccurate uh ideas we have about say uh american competency yeah word uh yeah about it's just not just that you know can you know how do we get involved in syria is the idea that Mm -hmm. um we'd be able to do it without fucking it up even more right yeah our yeah exactly i think that was dave weigel and it was yeah it was that notion of yeah, of course we're going to get this right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like everything else we've done in the last 30 years. Fucking 50 years, years at least. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's, again, which goes back to, uh, get, you know, kind of like pe- um, you know, smart people thinking that they're smart without, but without the, um, I think without factoring in enough, like, error, error correction feedback control into their, you know. Right, because yeah. yeah. they, they all hang out with each other and they don't really hear from people who criticize them and and if they do it's they just write them off as oh they're dummies you know yeah. what i mean like they're not they're not credentialed to go yeah. back to oh yeah uh so why do i have to listen to them they're just normal people normies as you said mm-hmm. right so yeah that's the podcast is called experts baffled uh put out by the baffler or nice. baffler or baffler depending I like, on I like your baffler. region of the country yeah because then i'm from the upper midwest so it would be baffler yeah. Okay. And uh, other than that, uh, well, thank everybody for listening. Uh, contact us the usual ways, I guess. Unless you want to drop anything or just whatever. Garrett's oh. Garrett's walking out of the room right now. He's gonna come back so he can tell you. He can be reached at I Garrett at Garrett dot com. Yeah. Garrett at Garrett dot com. All complaints could be sent there. Otherwise, you can check me out at com- at Comrade Garrett on Twitter, or you can go to HonkyTonkUnion dot com. And I'm not gonna give the dab bros website out because i fucking don't know what it is um but you can go to honkytonkunion.com and listen to some of the music i've made and uh and uh do i do anything else on the internet i'm not going to give out my cell phone number anymore because i've decided no one's going to ever text me so um that's it for Um. me good day (laughs) so um 
I'm um, Ashes for Foxes on Tumblr. I'm also um, more on Twitter now at uh, Cross the Gray with a E in the gray. Um, yeah, reach me there. And as always, you can reach the show at givingthemike at gmail.com. On Facebook, more importantly, at givingthemic, all, you know, one word. Um, I want to thanks to thanks to um, Michael Pomeros for editing this, for the Mysterious Breakfast Cereal Air, for our theme. And that is, and thank you, the listener, for putting up with our natterings for the last, God knows how long we've been on here. Uh, like, subscribe, and share, like, share, and subscribe. And like, you know, we're in the. A lot of podcasts are like pushing the. Hey, tell more people like what the hell podcasts actually are. Yeah. So do that. And other than that, thanks. Yeah. Thank thanks. Good night. And um, yeah. And don't forget to floss. <laughs> Enjoy your burrito. Oh yeah. wait, that's wrong. Editing services provided by Entertainment Unlimited. Visit us at euavp.com.